we're looking at the life of David. Uh, so we're going to be processing through some events and things that happened through the course of David's life. But we're also going to be looking at what we see uh, him reveal about himself through the Psalms. So the Psalms are, are poetry, lyrics that were written by David and a number of other people. Uh, and in David's writing, he reveals an incredible amount of what's going on inside of him through the course of his Psalms. And so we're going to be looking both at the stories and then at the Psalms. And we're actually going to structure the series so that one week we're learning about some events and stories in David's life, and the next week we'll just focus on a specific psalm. So we're gonna kind of go back and forth even with our time together uh, over the next um, five, six weeks. So, all right, so if you have been around Everyday Church uh, much time at all, you hear us talk a lot about emotions, about emotional um, presence and emotional health. In fact, one of our values, we're kind of updating our website and giving it a new look here in the next um, month or two, and, uh, and so we're kind of processing through values, and one of our values is emotionally healthy relationships. We have a class we're gonna start, Wendy will talk about this later, we're gonna start next week, emotionally healthy relationships. We talk a lot about, uh, about emotions, and um, this idea that uh, our spirituality separated from emotional health doesn't really work very well. That Jesus called us to love others well, and if we're on this pursuit to live the way Jesus lived and love the way he loved, then emotional health and processing through emotionally healthy spirituality and emotionally healthy relationships is, uh, is super important. So as the teaching team, Wendy and Alberto and Matt and I were processing over the last number of months about what we wanna do, how we wanna spend our time together uh, in the latter half of this year, particularly in the, the fall, um, we kept coming back to this idea of emotional honesty of emotional uh, awareness. How honest are we with ourselves about what's going on inside of us? How honest are we with one another about what's going on inside of us? How honest are we with God about what's going on in our hearts? Are we free? Do we realize that God sets us free to express that emotion to him? And, uh, and so we just kept coming back to this idea of emotional awareness. And the more we spent talking about it, I, the figure of David in scripture, this man that we encounter in scripture kept coming to our mind. Like, if you're gonna talk about emotional spirituality, uh, emotional presence and openness, uh, you have to look at the life of David. And so we kept coming back to um, this character of David we find in scripture. An incredible amount of space is given to him in scripture, both the events of his life and he wrote about half of the Psalms. So a lot of space is given to David. He's a very prominent figure and uh, an incredibly emotionally aware and present and honest uh, dude. And so like, let's spend some time, figure out how can we look at the life of David and weave in this idea of emotional presence. So over these um, six weeks that we're going through this series, looking at stories and Psalms of David, our hope is that we will engage our minds, our imaginations, our hearts, as we're experiencing David through these stories and Psalms. And that through that, realize how much God cares about our hearts, how concerned he is with what's going on inside of us, not just the circumstances of our life, but what's going on on the inside, and that we would uh, grow in this idea of emotional awareness and our ability to share our feelings uh, honestly with God. So my youngest daughter, Clara, who is not in the room, she um, once said this, if you haven't, if you haven't heard this, 
Um, thank you, Clara. So uh, she said, if you don't like talking about emotions, you might not like everyday church. <laughs> I don't know when this was or what the occasion was. And I was like, thank you, Clara, for putting it that bluntly to the world. Uh, I don't think that's out there anywhere because it might scare some people away. But if you are nervous about this whole emotions thing and talking about emotions and looking in inward, then you're going to be perplexed when we're processing as a church and what it means to love others well and to follow Jesus uh, and to be the kind of church that he's um, called us to be. So, uh, so hang in there over this series, and uh, I think we're going to have a good time as we, um, we dive into David's life and emotions and try to engage our own through the course of this, um, this series. All right, so one quick observation um, just about sort of human psychology and the reality. I think this is true for many of us. It is a very human tendency. It's important to talk about this because of what we will encounter when we're looking at David's life. So it's a very human tendency for us to categorize people, to categorize experiences, to categorize things in life as either good or we have this instinct to categorize, is it good, is it bad? Is that person good, is that person um, bad? And one of the challenges to us of emotional honesty, I believe, is accepting that things are a mixture of good and bad. That rarely do you encounter things in life, people in life, that are good or they're bad. That life is this mixed up mixture of good and bad. That we all, every single human, every one of us, is a mixture of good and bad. I was uh, chatting with a friend uh, this past week about, uh, it was a single friend, we were chatting about singleness and the realities of, uh, of being a single person. There are some positive things about I'm not single, but there are some positive things about um, being single. In fact, if you look at Jesus' teaching on marriage and singleness, if you look at Paul's teaching, both of them were single, and they were super, like, supportive of singleness. In fact, you might even say for both of them that they promoted singleness. In their view, being single was, was a really, really good option for a person. But um, there are also some, really, also some really negative sides to being single. There are some struggles and as we were chatting about the sort of pros and cons and the reality of being single, we were getting into this topic of like, can we be honest emotionally about the, the pros and the cons, the good things and the bad things, the easy, happy emotions and the difficult, painful emotions when it comes to singleness? And the truth is, most things in life are like that. Most things are this mixture of good and bad. Singleness, there's some good stuff and there's some really difficult uh, stuff. Being married, it is wonderful. It is also one of the most painful things that you can experience. Just the reality of marriage. Having kids, lots of fun, lots of pain, <laughs> lots of difficulty, lots of long not. The negative list is pretty long, having, having kids. So you think about work, you think about friendship, you think about family. Most things in life are this crazy mixture of good and bad of positive emotions and negative emotions, and how equipped are we, how free are we to accept the mixture of those emotions and the things that we um, face through the course of our lives? Are we able to be honest 
about the mixture of feelings that are going on inside of us. Cultures, every culture, positives and negatives. Every church, positives and negatives. This is just a reality of what's going on in life. And yet, we're often in this position where we categorize things as good or bad. We see people as good or bad. So I say that all of that because David, as we're processing through, David is a mixture of good and bad. And it's really important that we understand this and not try to push him into this, oh, well, he's good. Oh, well, no, he's bad. We have this tendency to move people into categories because when you look at David's life, you're going to experience and witness some things that are good and some things that are bad. And the wonderful, um, crazy thing to me, when you really engage scripture, especially in David's life, that it doesn't hide that fact, that scripture isn't working to hide his humanity. In fact, gives him so much space and even time to express what's going on inside of him through the Psalms, that so much space in scripture is given to the reality that we're encountering this human dude who is a mixture of um, good and bad. And thankfully, uh, we get the stories and a little bit of emotion and an incredible amount of emotion and processing, inner world processing um, through uh, his Psalms and what he wrote, his poetry. So today we're going to be looking at um, the early years of David's life, uh, really up until he was about 30 years old when he became king. So we're not getting into him being king. It's events in his life through uh, the early days of um, his life. And I want to start by just looking at uh, a verse and uh, a couple of verses in scripture to kind of set the stage for the sort of paradox of um, this guy, David. So check out 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. So this is God passing a message on to David and to some other people um, about, uh, about David. And so this is what um, Samuel the prophet, speaking on God's behalf, says. Uh, the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart, after God's heart, and appointed him ruler of his people. So the interesting thing about this line, um, it gives us an insight into kind of God's thinking. This actually most likely was spoken, these words, before David was even alive. Um, he wasn't yet uh, born, which is fascinating. But when you look at the context of what's going on in that particular story, it's very clear that he was talking about the future king, which was, um, which was David. And the Apostle Paul, about a thousand years after so uh, Samuel speaks here, the Apostle Paul affirms this, and this comes from Acts chapter 13. Paul says, God testified concerning him, concerning David, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. And you might have heard that people talk about David this way, that David was a man after God's own heart. And uh, this prophet Samuel, the Apostle Paul, give us this idea that there was something about David that God would even describe him as a man after God's own heart. And I've, I've spent a lot of time over the years reading about David's life, um, processing through the Psalms. There's some incredible Psalms that David wrote. Uh, I've heard a lot of people talk about David. I've heard David held up as this model of leadership, of like incredible leadership, as a role model for us in our spiritual journey. We talk about David in all of these sorts of ways, which is a little bit perplexing when you get into the actual events of, uh, of David's life. There is this paradox that is sort of presented to us, I think, in, um, in David. So if you read through David's life, um, this, 
there's just a few things that you will notice very quickly. David had a lot of wives. Um, he also had a lot of concubines, which were like second-class wives. They were like wives, but they didn't get the full status of a wife, and he had a lot of those. Um, David was a very violent man. We see that in certainly him as a warrior in war, but there's some other situations where we see uh, David and sort of the violence in him and acted out. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I think Alberto is going to be up here talking about uh, a story, a series of stories, but all surrounding uh, David's adultery. Um, he took another man's wife. I got her pregnant. He wanted to cover it up and tried in a lot of different ways. Eventually, he was left with, in his mind, his only option to cover it up was to murder this man or have this man murdered. So that's a huge part of, uh, of David's story. And when you look at these different realities that we see, these different stories uh, of David, there, you also see this, like, he's not a great father. You look at it, the life of his kids, and it's just a, a real mess. So David has this dark side, and uh, it's certainly enough, if we're going to categorize, to categorize him as a bad guy. We put those things in, like, the bad guy. That's what bad guys do. He's in the bad guy list. And yet God says, this is a man after my own heart. What is it about David that God would say, this is a man after my own heart? So you're starting to see this sort of challenge, this paradox that we see, that David is a human and he's committing these sins and doing these things, and yet he's a man after God's own heart. Is he good or is he bad? Or is it possible that God does not see us as good or bad? That God recognizes this mixture of good and bad that's going on in all of us, and that God's love transcends the fact that we are a mixture of good and bad. And so you're going to run into some of these kind of questions. Um, there aren't easy answers to a lot of these questions, but some of this kind of stuff we're going to run into as we, um, we get into David's life. So uh, on, the, on the flip side of this, as you, especially in the early years of David's life, as we look through um, and learn about David, you're going to see some incredibly noble characteristics in, uh, in this guy. We're going to see a man who seeks God regularly and consistently through his life, that he longs to be obedient and follow God obedient, uh, obediently. We uh, are going to see sometimes when he certainly, when he falls um, very short of God's way and intention for him, we'll see this guy be incredibly torn up inside because of his own sin and brokenness. Uh, and through all of it, we get this picture of this man who is able to embrace this mixture of emotion and struggle going on inside of him and not just feel it, but then learn how to express it to us through the Psalms, to God, um, certainly in his relationship with God. Uh, a model in a way of an emotional awareness and openness. So it's possible um, that you've heard about David, you know this David of whom I speak, David of the Hebrew scriptures, David and Goliath, King David, um, the line of David, Jesus was from the line of David, um, the star of David. This is the David that we're talking about. It's also possible that um, you have no idea who this David guy is, or you haven't learned much about his life, or you're not really aware uh, of who he is and how important a, a role he played in Scripture. Uh, and that's totally okay, because we're going to spend a lot of time talking about him and learning uh, a lot about David. So I would also, um, if you're up for the challenge, um, you can read in Scripture David's life yourself. Most of what we're going to talk, be talking about comes from 1 
Samuel and Second Samuel, um, which are two books that, that, that hold the record of David's life and some other um, things that were going on before and after David. And you can dig into the Psalms and start to experience uh, David's Psalms for yourself while we're, um, while we're in the midst of this series. So I would encourage you to do that. Um, just be prepared. There's a lot of craziness that you're going to discover in there, and um, we can talk about all that stuff. So, All right, so there's three big um, components to the life and times of David that we need to hold in our mind while we're learning about and, and when we're looking into David's life. We need to keep some things uh, in mind, three, three kind of large things. First of all, we've got to remember this guy's a human. We encounter David as a man, as a dude. He's a believer. He loves God. He is a shepherd boy at times in the story. He's a warrior. He's uh, a prophet at times. He's a king, uh, a husband, a father, a friend, all of these different elements. David is a human. And so we have to remember, we tend to elevate people in scripture. We have to remember, this is a guy that we're running into here. So hold that in your mind as we work down through David's life. The second major reality of um, David's life is a political reality. So the Israelite people, David's people, the people that God called to be his own and to follow him, uh, the Israelite people are transitioning during, before and during David's life from a collection of tribes to a monarchy. So they are switching from one type of political leadership and establishment as a nation to another. So they are uh, moving towards having a king over them. And the politics of that inside of Israel, the internal political battles, the uniting of what are millions of people under a king, um, the nation, there are various nations and armies around them that we're dealing with, that the Israelites and David were dealing with, uh, all of this conflict and battle that's happening, all of that is happening around David from the time he was very young. So he is thrown in, as we'll see today, into this political craziness, conflict and violence at a very early age. And it's important for us to hold that in mind. There's some big uh, political things that are happening through um, the time of David's life. The third major factor is um, it's God, it's Yahweh. Uh, this powerful God, when we zoom in on David's life, this powerful God is revealing himself to the world as the one true God, the Lord of all, the God of the universe. He has been for some period of time leading up to David's life, trying to establish and reveal to the world who he is in his nature. And he is up to something significant in all the different stories that we run into in scripture. And it's important that uh, we hold on to that stuff. So we are encountering David in scripture. Now it's been about 3,000 years or so since David lived. Um, we are experiencing him 3,000 years removed. We meet David, this human guy, in a very violent time in, uh, in human history in the center of incredible political realities and power struggles uh, going on around him. And the God of the universe, Yahweh, is up to something. And so David's life is not simple. So when we encounter stories of David, we can't look at them and apply this sort of simple, let me just look at that one story and draw some sort of moral conclusion from that. We have to understand the larger picture of what's going on um, in David's life. All right. So uh, that's a lot of like foundational stuff to hold in your mind. All of that, you've got to hold every bit of that in your mind um, for six weeks. Don't lose any of it. Uh, all right, so for the next 10 minutes or so, I would like to just tell you the story of David's early years. 
uh, before he becomes a king. So this covers the events that unfold in 1 Samuel and the very beginning of 2 Samuel. So it's a good chunk of uh, material, a lot of pages. And I thought, ah, we could just read it together. I'll just stand up here and like read 50 pages of David's life. We don't really have time for that, and we can't sort of dig through the particulars of each story. So I would just like to share with you what we encounter when we're looking at Scripture and, uh, and David's life. So um, you can kind of sit back and hold on as I race through uh, some incredible experiences in David's life. All right, so all of this takes place about 3,000 years ago. So that's, um, you know, the world was a very different place 3,000 years ago than it is now. God's chosen people, the people of Israel, um, are millions of people at this point. So when you look through the history of God calling these people through Old Testament um, scripture, by this point, there are millions of people that are arranged in these sort of family lines or tribes. Uh, and they are separate tribes, but they all have common ancestry that we've been following through in scripture uh, back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And these millions of people are kind of, sort of, following God. So there are times when they're faithful and they get it and they remember who God is, and there are times where they totally forget. Like somebody will find the, the book of the law, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I remember hearing something about God. Like this, God is calling these people to be his chosen messengers in the world. He is trying to use them to communicate his love and mission to the world. And they are sometimes with him, and a lot of times they're not. A lot of times forgetting um, who he is and what he's up to. And at this point in time, uh, around David, shortly before David's life, uh, they are led by judges, these sort of people. We've talked to different points over the last couple of years about the judges that ruled over uh, the nation of Israel. But all of their neighbors have kings. And they're like, hey, God, we want a king. We know you're the God of the universe. And God's like, you have the God of the universe as your king. Why do you need a human king? And they insist, we want a human king. We want to kind of be ruled like everybody else is. That'll make us feel better and safer or whatever. And so God um, gives in to them and gives them their first king, a man by the name of Saul, son of Kish. So Saul was about 30 years old when he became king uh, of the people of Israel. And it seems like when you encounter this guy, Saul, um, when you first meet Saul, it seems like maybe he's a humble guy. But he's not. He, like that goes away really, really quickly. Uh, and he, uh, God is kind of calling him, appoints, appoints him as king and calls him to follow God obediently in leading the people. But Saul is super impatient and he kind of leaves God behind very quickly. In fact, uh, if the time, you're kind of looking at the days and the representation of time when we're looking at the story of Saul, it looks like at about day seven. It's literally day seven. Um, God tells him to go a specific place and wait, and Saul gets there, and he waits, and he's like, uh, something needs to happen, and so he gets impatient, and he does whatever it is that God wanted him to do. He does it himself instead of waiting on Samuel, and God immediately says what we read a little bit ago, that he decides he is going to search for a king after his own heart. Crazy thing is, um, Saul is king for 42 years, so God is like, I'm going to appoint another king. Someday, <laughs> I got I got to work on this one. Finding a, maybe it's finding a man after my own heart is not very easy, and so it's going to take me a while to um, to arrange this and to uh, to call uh, this guy David. So uh, Saul is uh, king for forty two years. Sometimes during those forty two years, 
Saul's a pretty amazing God, follow, amazing guy following God. Most of the time, he's kind of doing his own thing, and uh, and he just spirals down. You watch through the course of his life, uh, he just gets some um, kind of odder and crazier and um, more horrible in a lot of ways. So somewhere in the middle of Saul's reign uh, as king, God is ready to identify at least to, to a few people who the new king will be. Uh, and so we have this story of uh, Samuel, who is God's prophet. Uh, God calls Samuel, tells him to go to this town, Bethlehem. And there's this guy, Jesse, who has a bunch of sons. And one of his son, sons is going to be uh, king. And so Samuel goes to Bethlehem, meets Jesse, sees his oldest son, and is like, this guy, this guy is going to be king. Uh, so check out what we read in 1 Samuel 16. Uh, this is kind of a funny, funny line to me. Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands before the Lord right now. This dude is the new king. And the Lord says to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. So there's something about this guy that Samuel's just like, whoa, this dude's awesome. He's going to be king. And God is like, nope, don't consider his appearance. Uh, don't consider his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So something interesting in what God is looking for in um, his new king. So Jesse has a bunch of other sons. He presents six more sons to Samuel. None of them um, are king. And he's kind of like, uh, one of your sons is supposed to be king. Do you have another one? I've seen seven now, but do you have another one? Oh, yeah, there's a little, there's a boy, uh, my youngest son, who's with the sheep. He's a shepherd. Um, and he is probably, maybe a teenager, probably a teenager at this time, but pretty young. And so they call David in, and Samuel sees David. God says this is the man, and, uh, and David is confirmed by God as this young boy that he is going to be the future king. Uh, he, this is the guy that's after my own heart that I am going to, um, to make king someday. So um, God looks, does not look at outward appearance as we do. He looks at the heart, and there's something about David that strikes God and draws um, David in. So Saul is not aware of any of this stuff. So Saul does not know that um, David has been chosen by God to be the future king. But Saul hears a rumor that there is this young shepherd boy who's a freaking awesome musician. And, uh, and so he calls David into his service. Saul has anger issues. He gets stressed, intense. And so he has David play musical instruments for him to help calm him down which becomes an interesting uh, part of the story in just a little bit. So uh, David doesn't real, or Saul doesn't realize what's going on with David, but he has him in his service. And so we see David bouncing back and forth, um, going back. Sometimes he's a shepherd for his dad's um, flocks, and sometimes he's serving Saul wherever Saul happens to be. And uh, we kind of see David going back and forth for a while. And then along comes a very large man named Goliath. So you may have heard the story of David and Goliath. You have at least heard that phrase. It's a David and Goliath story about like football or whatever, you know, a million things that talk about like the little boy against the giant or whatever. Um, so we're not going to go into all the details of the story of Goliath. But um, this guy, Goliath, is apparently a very large man. He's a Philistine, which the Philistines were this ongoing epic sort of conflict with uh, the Israelite people. Their armies are for decades fighting each other and they're, they, they uh, we see them a lot in the story of David. So uh, 
Goliath and the Philistine army come out against Saul and the Israelites' army, and Goliath is just like, uh, we don't get the details of his words, but apparently he is kind of like saying really terrible things about God. And, uh, and David is around at one point, and he hears rumors of this Goliath, and he hears everything that he's saying, and he's kind of perplexed. Um, why is no one doing anything about this guy who's saying terrible things about our God? And uh, Saul and the army seem to be afraid, and so David's like, you know what? I'll do it. Saul refers to, in this story, Saul refers to David as a boy. So he is still very young. He's likely a teenager. Maybe he's an older teenager, 18 or somewhere in that range. Um, but Saul considered him a boy at least. And uh, David's not going to have any of this um, bad talk coming from Goliath. And so David's like, I'm going to do it. He goes out. He kills Goliath. And the Israelites end up defeating the Philistine army. So it's kind of a, a, a huge story. The reality is this story is a major turning point in the life of David. So David has been appointed king by God, but nobody knows that. Uh, nobody really knows who David is. There's some rumors about him as a musician, I guess. Um, but nobody really knows who he is. This defeat of Goliath changes all of that. So he goes from just being a shepherd boy and a servant for Saul to being a national hero. The people hear what David did, and everything changes for this young, um, young man. Which, you know, for David, okay. You know, he's getting recognized, some popularity. Uh, Saul does not respond well to this at all. And we begin to see uh, a lot of the dark side of Saul through all of this stuff. So David's popularity, it's like it stabs some deep insecurities in Saul. And Saul begins to act out in incredible jealousy and rage at times. Uh, in fact, there are a couple of occasions where David is playing music to help cal Saul calm down. And um, it's not working, apparently. Saul grabs his spear. He's a warrior. He grabs his spear and like hurls it across the room at David. David dodges. And it would appear goes on playing for him. So this is the point where you might think, I quit. I'm not working for you anymore. But David continues, and we see through the course of his life, his respect for Saul, his love, in fact, for Saul. He refers to Saul later as his father. Um, David has some kind of love for this man. And even though Saul tries to kill him on a couple of occasions, he doesn't quit. He doesn't leave um, Saul's service, which is, you know, something. Um, maybe this is a part of David is a man after God's own heart. I don't know, but it seems crazy to me. So, all right. So Saul is not successful killing him himself. So Saul decides, I got to get rid of this kid. Uh, and so I'll let my enemies do it. And he sends him off to war and um, sends him to the army, which, you know, seems crafty, like get this kid out there in battle and he'll lose. He he must have forgotten about Goliath and that whole thing. But anyways, he sends David, and it, it backfires. David it turns out to be an extraordinary warrior and an incredible leader of soldiers and other, uh, other fighting men. And so David's, like, national fame does not decrease. It just increases more and more and more and more. And Saul becomes more angry and more bitter and more frustrated. And we see this sort of spiral um, in Saul because he is not successful at killing David or getting rid of this guy. And David continues to get more and more fame and success. So scripture tells us that the Lord was with David. Uh, and when you look through this, these stories, 
you see on a number of different occasions that David is, when he is in difficult situations or when he has a major decision to make, he would consult God. He would ask God, what do you want me to do? How, how do I handle this situation? And God would give him God's wisdom, what he thinks he should do, and David would obey. And so we see this pattern of David following God, seeking God, following him, trying to do all of this stuff God's way. And God gives him incredible success over and over and over and over again through the course of his life. But as David becomes more successful, Saul becomes more jealous, and this cycle um, of anger and rage continues with Saul. So the timeline, when you're looking at these stories, it's difficult to know exactly how much time passes, but it would appear that David is about 18 years old or so when he defeats uh, Goliath. Uh, so he's about 18, and he's 30 when he becomes king, when Saul dies and he becomes king. So there's this 12-year stretch from when David becomes popular to um, when Saul dies in battle and David becomes the king. And these 12 years, what happens to David in these 12 years is really kind of terrible. When you read the stories and you get a sense of what's happening in David's life, it's really kind of shocking and horrible kind of things. And it's really important for us, especially with the, the, the approach that we're taking to this, looking at David's life and talking about and trying to recognize his emotional awareness, it's important that we hold in our minds how bad it got for David. And that's really what I want to kind of give you. I'm going to do a quick run through of kind of what those 12 years looked like. So David uh, is loved by the people. He's incredibly famous uh, after uh, Goliath and continues to be. He's a very successful warrior and leader. He's doing very good things for the is Israel as a nation. We see him rescuing people and fighting against their enemies to protect. And it's just, you see some really extraordinary things that David is accomplishing. And the people love him for it because God is with him and God is bringing deliverance from their enemies through, uh, through David. Um, at times, he's with Saul, off and on during these 12 years. There are times when Saul's like, come have a meal with me, and David agrees, and there's just weird things. But David and Saul have this on-again, off-again relationship, and David continues to love him and care for Saul. Uh, but, it, but Saul turns on him more and more and betrays him in a lot of different ways. So obviously, we talked about Saul trying to kill him personally uh, with his own um, spear, sending him off to the army to die. He sends David on a number of different, like, crazy, kind of ridiculous missions that were, it would seem very clearly intended for David to die. Like, he's trying to create a scenario where somebody else kills David. If, uh, none of that stuff is working, and so uh, Saul begins to send groups of men, sort of assassin teams or something, to hunt David down and kill him. And so we see this, these men, Saul keeps sending groups of people out, go find David and kill him, get rid of him, find him wherever he is. There's a rumor he's over here, there's a rumor he's over there, go find him. Saul, that continues to not be successful. Then we see Saul start to lead those groups of soldiers. So there's these major battles and wars going on with surrounding nations, and Saul's like, I gotta find David, I gotta get rid of this guy. Oftentimes, David is the one defending the nation. Still, Saul is like, I gotta find this guy, I gotta kill him. And so Saul leads groups of men to hunt uh, David down and to, uh, to try to kill him. There are uh, at least two stories where the circumstances of the stories are kind of fascinating. David ends up having the opportunity without anyone preventing him, or in, in one case, particularly both cases, really, no one even knowing it. He has the opportunity to kill Saul. His men are like, do it. God has delivered him into your hands. He's right there sleeping. Kill him. And 
all these troubles will be over, and you can fulfill what God has called you to, and his men love him, and so they're like, this is your moment. This is from God. David loves God so much, and he loves Saul so much that he will not do it. He will not touch or lay a hand to harm Saul. In both of those cases, when Saul realizes what could have happened and that David spared him, Saul is like weeping and confessing his sin and repenting. I'm never going to do this again. And lets David go. And then like five minutes later, changes his mind and he's back after him again. So we see this like this weird back and forth stuff going on um, with Saul. There uh, is a story. If you look through the life of David, Saul has a son named Jonathan. David and Jonathan are incredibly close friends, very intimate friendship, and love one another very deeply. Saul cannot stand this. There's an occasion where Jonathan is in the room with Saul. He takes a spear, does the same thing, tries to kill Jonathan because Jonathan loves David so much. Um, there is a story where Saul thinks that um, he believes that the priests of God are helping David or maybe are more for David than they are for him. He sweeps into the town, slaughters the priests and all their families, kills tons and tons of people. Saul is this downward spiral of hate and anger and vengeance uh, against David. So all the while this is happening, David is also being hunted by the Philistines and by other armies. So David's running from Saul and, by the way, running from the Philistine armies and the Malachites and some other people are chasing him down. At one point, he's captured by the, at least one point, maybe two, captured by the Philistines and held as a prisoner. Um, barely escapes with his life by acting like he's crazy, like drooling and pretending like he's nuts. And they're like, oh, well, we don't mean to kill him. Just let him go. He's crazy. And he sneaks away. There's a psalm where uh, David talks about that, actually, acting crazy in the way God um, saved him as a result of it. So um, there's a point where the small town where um, David's, his close friends and soldiers, where their families live, and maybe some of um, David's family and friends, uh, another army comes in, captures the whole village, takes them off to be slaves. David and his men race over there. He's running from Saul, but now he's got to race over and find uh, this where his people were taken and rescue them and bring them back. Uh, at one point, he has to hide his mom and dad with somebody so because his mom and dad apparently were being hunted and um, Saul or their other enemies wanted to kill his parents, and so he hides them. And so we see this just, he's on the run, he's hunted, he's back and forth with Saul, you know, just crazy, crazy situation that's going on. So this young shepherd boy is hurled into political spotlight, had no idea what was coming. Um, he was anointed by God to be king sometime when he was a teenager. He was given promises from God that God would make him king and be with him and give him success. Uh, and then he lives 10 or 15 years running for his life, afraid, afraid for his family, afraid for his friends, confused, heartbroken, afraid for his life, afraid for the lives of his friends. The king that he loves and serves betrays him, hunts him down, wants him dead. We see David weeping and crying out to God, writing poetry, expressing the full spectrum of human emotion we encounter when we read um, David's poetry. Fear and anger and vengeance and confusion and um, joy and trust and respect and love and on and on the emotions go. Back and forth, his heart thrown this way and that, confused by God, angry with God, wondering why God doesn't honor his promises. 
amazed at times at God's beauty, incredible, beautiful poetry about his love and for God and God's beauty and God's faithfulness and God's goodness. And in these early years of his life, we see David incredibly aware of this mixture of emotions going on inside of him. And he seems unafraid to share that emotion with his friends around him and with God directly and all the different things that he's um, feeling. So David's inner life, his heart, his feelings, his emotions, we get to encounter these through the Psalms. And uh, there's some really beautiful things that we um, see David express there. Heartbreaking, there's some frightening Psalms. There's some Psalms that you're like, well, uh, I would think, honestly, David says things to God I would never say. I'm too afraid, even watching David, and David is a man after God's own heart, I'm st I would still be afraid to say. There's things that David is able to say because of his trust and gratitude towards God that oftentimes I don't think many of us would be, um, have the courage to be honest about um, what we're feeling. And so um, really for me, when I see the Psalms, the thing that strikes me the most about David's poetry is the incredible trust and gratitude that David has, even in the midst of the craziness of this season of his life. Now, the rest of his life, as we'll learn, wasn't like all rosy and great. It continues. But these early years, like on the run, are really quite crazy to me. And um, David's trust for God in the midst of all of that stuff is really extraordinary. So we've looked at, and you've kind of heard me talk through the, the events of deep. David's life. I would like to read for you a series of psalms. I've taken a selection um, of passages from the psalms that David wrote either during or about um, these events in this sort of 12 years on the run. And so I'm going to read for you, uh, it's four or five psalms, I think I selected parts of them, and I want you to just kind of sit back and try to hold in your mind, you close your eyes if you like, it's three or four minutes of reading, I would like you to just try to hold in your mind what I've shared with you about David's life, about his experience. What would it be like to be on the run, hiding in caves, you know, racing around, trying to protect people you love because somebody's trying to kill them? Like, just hold in your mind some of these stories and realities as you hear what David writes in his sort of poetic moments where he's expressing all of this stuff. Sometimes his psalms are talking to God directly, sometimes they're actually talking to us. He's sort of speaking to an audience that I think um, he is just sort of sharing with the world as he um, writes these psalms. So I'm going to read uh, for you. You can kind of sit back and relax, and I just want you to um, get this picture of David's inner life of what's going on um, through these events. So the first um, psalm that I'll read from is Psalm 59. This actually is a psalm written about when... Um, Saul had sent men to watch David's house so that when he came or went, they could kill him. And so uh, David writes this, these words. Deliver me from my enemies, O God. Be my fortress against those who are attacking me. Deliver me from evildoers and save me from those who are after my blood. See how they lie in wait for me. Fierce men conspire against me for no offense or sin of mine, Lord. I have done no wrong, yet they are ready to attack me. Arise to help me. Look on my plight. I will sing of your strength. In the morning I will sing of your love. For you are my fortress, my refuge in times of trouble. You are my strength. I sing praise to you 
You, God, are my fortress, my God on whom I can rely. Psalm 56, when he's being hunted by the Philistines. Be merciful to me, my God, for my enemies are in hot pursuit. All day long they press their attacks. My adversaries pursue me all day long. In their pride, many are attacking me. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I trust, and I am not afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? All day long they twist my words. All their schemes are for my ruin. They conspire, they lurk, they watch my steps, hoping to take my life. In God, whose word I praise. In the Lord, whose word I praise. In God, I trust and am not afraid. What can man do to me? I'm under vows to you, my God. I will present my thank offerings to you, for you have delivered me from death and my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Psalm 142, David's hiding in a cave. I cry out aloud to, you, to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness. Psalm 54, again, hunted by Saul's men. Arrogant foes are attacking me. Ruthless people are trying to kill me. People without regard for God. Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. I will sacrifice a freewill offering to you. I will praise your name, Lord, for it is good. You have delivered me from all of my troubles, and my eyes have looked in triumph on my foes. Psalm 57, again, David's hiding in a cave for his life. Have mercy on me, my God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until this disaster has passed. I'm in the midst of lions. I'm forced to dwell among ravenous beasts, men whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. My heart, O oh God, is steadfast. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, Lord, among the nations. I will sing of you among the peoples, for great is your love. Reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. So we see David hunted, captured, hiding in caves, on the run, and yet trusting God. Gratitude that flows from him. Not because God has kept all the difficulties away, but because God is with him in the midst of those difficulties. So I'd like to give you just a, a couple of moments of um, silence and would encourage you just reflect on what you've heard, story of David's life, psalms that I just read for you. And I wonder what is going on in your life right now that's making it difficult for you to trust God, to be grateful for God's presence in your life.